Hi, and welcome to the Vancouver Life Podcast. This podcast is created to answer the most talked about questions when it comes to navigating the Vancouver real estate market. I'm your host, Dan Wartell, a licensed agent and accredited real estate investment advisor based here in Vancouver, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Dash. Hi, Dan. I'm also a local realtor, an exhausted father of two, husband of one, and really happy to be here. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Vancouver Life Real Estate Podcast and YouTube channel. We are recording this on Canada Day. Happy Canada Day, Ryan, and to all of our fellow Canadians. I'm sure you are uh, hopefully enjoying it right now and uh, are listening to this the next day. Um, Anyway... It's July the 1st and the June data is in. Um, You're not going to hear about it from the board and most agents until next week, but hey, we want it to be your trusted and first source of information here. So we have done a deep dive, we have pulled up the numbers, and we want to share them with you right away. So right off the top, biggest news that you're going to hear next week is that sales volume is down. And it is to the tune of about 35% of where it was this time last year. A full third less. It is it is slowing and slowing dramatically. We're about 18% less than last month. Not the biggest surprise, really. Uh, we all know interest rates have been rising and are going to do so more in the near future. Uh, mortgages more expensive. People are in a bit of a, a, a standstill right now. There's a wait and see mentality and there's definitely some feet on the brakes pulling back on their home purchases. So expect these uh, sales volumes to slow down even further as we get into a bit more of a typical summer cycle, but also in an increasingly rising interest rate environment. Yeah, um, we'll touch on inflation too and how that's affecting things. But generally speaking, I mean, inventory is is up. It's healthier. It's at 10,532 units, only up about 260 listings from last month, or about 2.5%. April, we were at 14%. May was at 10%. And June, uh, 2.5%. So interestingly, while sales are down 35%, we're also seeing, you know, the demand that was, you know, there prior to um, COVID, or, or sorry, prior to the interest rate hikes, that demand is still there. It's just people are waiting and seeing what's happening, and I think sellers are also realizing, well, hey, look, if I'm not going to be able to get what I want for my property, I mean, it's classic Vancouver, then they just don't list, right, Dan? I mean, we're starting to see that now. We're starting to see inventories while it's up. It's not still at the 15,000 that we were kind of hoping to see for a bit more of a balanced market. We're still, we're still on the shorter end, and this is a, a month when we should be collecting inventory. It's absolutely right. I'm, I'm actually quite shocked at how few homes hit the market this month. So seeing only a 2.5% increase going into the summer months where we're, we're going to see very few homes listed, it's still going to be pretty slim pickings out there. And, and as we know on the ground, you know, people were... Um, that were kind of on the sidelines hoping for more inventory, they're not seeing that much. The uh, the options aren't great as of yet. So keep in mind, uh, inventory is going to stay tight over basically the summer months and probably still until about the middle of September. Yeah. Yeah, with that being said, our sales to active ratio uh, sitting around 23%. So we're definitely still in a seller's market, but just, right? Um, 28% is what we were looking at last month. So we're down 
right? It's even more balanced for buyers than probably this is one of the more balanced scenarios that we've seen in a long time, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Generally and, and, speaking, when it comes to sales to active, right? Absolutely. And, and to, you know, had we seen an extra thousand listings or so, it would actually probably would have entered balance, but it didn't. So we're going to kind of hover here. I don't think this, we're going to see huge movement in that ratio in, in the upcoming months here. Yeah. Um, Price-wise, though, price, what's happening? Yeah, as you could imagine, things are dropping. We've been saying they have been for some time. Right now, we are sitting uh, at $900,000 even for the median price of a home in GVRD. Uh, that's down about 38000 bucks from last month, uh, or about 4.2%. 4, and we are down in the median price range uh, 10% from the February highs. We're down 100000 bucks from when it peaked at a million. Now, looking over to the average price, average price went down $60,000 last month. We're now sitting around uh, $1.218 million. And just like the median, it did peak as well in February, um, and it is down 10% as well, down about $127,000. So we've erased 10% of the market here. Uh, we're back to about October of last year numbers. Uh, about eight months of, of gains have been wiped out. Um, HPI will come out next week, estimated to uh, drop in around 1% or so, right? We do mention how this is a lagging indicator, but with average and median down 10, if it stays status quo, it'll just take a little while for the HPI to catch up. Um, maybe we'll make some price predictions later on, but uh, we also wanted to touch on kind of some predictions and, and a bit of what's happening in the landscape here as to what's going to really um, kind of push the trends in pricing moving forward. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of uh, price erosion, uh, I don't think it's over yet. Uh, sorry, homeowners, especially if you bought in the last year. Uh, but we are still going to see further wealth erosion. Um, I mean, the, the government's just hacking away at, at the economy here. Um, so uh, from the Financial Post, I believe it was, was the Global Mail Financial Post, Dan, that we saw this. I think this one's Financial Post, yeah. Financial Post, yeah. So... Financial Post has just reported the worst first half in the global market economy in, in its history. Let's let that sink in for a second here. Post-COVID was expected to be bumpy, but not like this. <laughs> so just to grasp how torrid things have been, consider a couple of things. So um, there's a financial institution in the States that, looked, uh, or that looks at uh, 47 countries' world stock indexes that have suffered its biggest drop since its creation in 1990. At the same time, the 10-year U.S. Treasury bonds, the benchmark of global borrowing markets, and traditional go-to assets in troubled times have had their worst half since, wait for it, 1788. Yeah, that's why we're talking about the worst first half in oh, history. Goodness. So yeah, what's the result of this on a global scale? Current estimates are in and around 13 to $14 trillion have been eroded away year to date, 2022. So you can just imagine the impact that's going to have globally as far as, well, consumer confidence and spending. People, if you look to the wealth effect, they don't feel rich right now when they're seeing their 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 wealth shrinking on what feels like almost a, a daily, if not weekly, basis. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the erosion, that wealth effect, right? So wealth effect when you have, like Dan's talked about it many times on our podcast, when your equities are rising, you feel wealthy, you spend more, right? When that wealth effect gets hacked away in, uh, through the process of quantitative tightening, which is the rising of interest rates, that you feel poorer, right? You don't feel like spending more, so you stop. That's what they're trying to do. They are trying to curb growth and demand. Um, it is, honestly speaking, the fastest and most knee-jerk reaction way that the Federal Reserve or the Bank of Canada can can control inflation. Right? Yeah, it, so, it, it is. And you got to think right now, Ryan, and, uh, the average person year-to-date, okay, their home is down 10%-ish off the peak. Their stock portfolio down 15 to maybe 30%. If they were in crypto, could be down as much as 60-70%. At this point, you're just in shock. And, and, and like you touched on earlier, Ryan, it's, it's likely not over yet. The arrows are still pointing down in those sectors. And of course, let's not forget, what do we have coming up in, in 12 days here? Another interest rate hike. <laughs> so the pendulum, you know, right now everything is shrinking, everything's shrinking, it's going the wrong way other than inflation, but that's obviously going to be a lagging indicator. So you can't have this much wealth eroded. You can't have people's consumer confidence drop off a cliff, stop spending and not have inflation go with it. Take or just leave things alone as they are right now instead of throwing a bit of fuel on the fire, which we all know they're going to do on the 13th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, how bad is inflation, right? Like what does it what does it mean to us? And why are they fighting it so hard? Yeah. So, like, why is why is there nothing else that anyone's talking about, right? When you when you when you look at Ronald Reagan, for example, was quoted as saying, "Inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman." And you can even go to Milton Friedman. If you ever went and studied economics, you'd know Milton Friedman. Inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon in the, sa- in the sense that it is and can be produced only by a more rapid increase in the quantity of money than in output, right? Sounds like, familiar. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, we've been, for the last, since we've known about inflation um, being a, an issue coming out of the pandemic, um, at least through the headlines, right? The Bank of Canada, the narrative from the Federal Reserve has all been supply chain, supply chain, supply chain issues, right? Well, the supply chain just can't keep up with, with the demand. Okay, well, how did that happen? How did we get to a supply chain that can't fuel the demand that's in the economy? Well, if we think about it for a second... Let's first consider what the mandates are for the banks, right? Like the Bank of Canada's mandate, the Federal Reserve mandates. They typically have a dual-track mandate, right? And this means that their goal is to effectively promote the goal of maximum employment, stable prices, and the moderation of long-term interest rates. I think they failed across the board, Dan. (laughs) Generally speaking, when you look at the history uh, of where we've been in terms of interest rates. It's been pretty stable for the last 10, 12 years, right? Um, where things have changed during the last 22 months. And what I mean by that is we looked up today on the Wheaton School of Economics. So in 2020, when the pandemic started, 
The M1 money supply, just so you know, for those of you out there who don't know what the M1 money supply is, that is the current amount of cash in circulation in the economy, right? So in the States, the M1 money supply was about 15 and a half trillion, which is more money than was ever around in 1788. (laughs) But by the end of 2021, so just over a year and a half later, the Fed had increased the money supply Dan, by $6.1 trillion. Roughly 40% increase in the money supply in just 22 months. The Fed has never printed this amount of money before in its entire history. And it printed all this money more or less out of thin air. That's the other thing. So when you consider what Milton Friedman here says, (laughs) how it is Inflation is pervasive, and it comes from the rapid increase in the quantity of money and demand and supply get rapidly affected by this. So if you pump a whole ton of money into the system, a whole ton of it, you give everybody all this money, including businesses, they need to go out and spend this money. It gives them opportunity, so they're going to. So for for a business, for example, let's just take a business. A business, why do we have a million job vacancies? Because we have the demand to fill the supply chain. But there's too much money in circulation right now. So if there's too much money in circulation and the businesses around can't fuel the the demand, then we have a supply chain issue, right? No, we created a supply chain issue through monetary policy. And that's what I really want to hammer home here. This is a central bank screw up they let it run too hot they pumped too much money into the system and they did it too quickly and now instead of correcting it and turning us back towards a softer landing they are taking a hatchet to the economy and cutting the legs off of it so that it doesn't get out of control but it's already out of control we've never seen this before we've never seen this amount of money in our system and by virtue of who we are as you know, Canadians and, and the fact that the Canadian economy is so closely knit to the American economy, you know, I don't think we went up by 40%. We're probably more like 27 to 30%. It's still pretty bad, right? So these, you got to think, as, as a business owner, if I don't hire people or I don't pay people more in an environment like this, then I will lose them to my competitors and they will squash me. So I have to. I have to participate in this game. And if I don't participate, there goes my business, right? Or there goes my house, or there goes my wealth. So people wonder, like, you know, how did, how did people get so into crypto? And why is crypto such a massive loss right now? Forget maybe the last, the, the cycles that we typically see, where you see a halving or an 80% correction. The reason why people have been dumping money into crypto and houses is because they're simply trying to keep up. They have nowhere else. If you go to your, you go to your savings account and they're going to give you half a percent interest on your savings. We've got inflation running at 7.7, 8.6 comparatively in the States. So people are looking at this going, well, I'm just going to, all my wealth is getting eroded. So they almost get into like a gambling mentality just to try and stay ahead of what the, the, the central banks are doing. That's a big problem. It's a big problem. A huge irony here too, Ryan, is 
the reason they printed all this money originally is because they had to shut down the economy and they didn't want their countries to go into a recession. And yet by overstimulating, by overprinting, causing great inflation and then having to fight it so hard, they're pretty much going to push it into a recession anyway. Either that or they're going to get something worse, which is going to be stagflation, right? Stagflation is uh, stagflation is worse than inflation, right? That's when you get rising prices and lowering demand. So the, the demand right now with inflation is pushing the prices as well. But we're getting to a point where the demand curve is going to stop and prices are going to continue to go. That's called stagflation. We can't actually create growth to pay for the prices that we have. And that's a big problem, right? So I, I, I don't know. I think we're headed for one of two things. We're, we're either headed towards a, a recession, a, a minor one, probably. I don't know. We'll see how, how major it could get. But it's either going to end up in a recession or we're going to end up with stagflation. And um, I don't know. Uh, we've spoken a lot um, about, about this. I don't know if you know Ray Dalio, Dan. You know who that is? I sure do. Yeah, so Ray Dalio, I mean, he's he's come out and said recently in, you know, response to uh, uh, Jerome Powell, who was uh, speaking on behalf of the Federal Reserve and FOMC, that when you are rising or, or, or lowering interest rates, it should be done with the surgical precision of a doctor. It shouldn't be with the hatchet of, of uh, I don't know, a timberman, right? It needs to be far more careful and constructed. And it just seems right now like the approach is naive. Um, it's going to lead us towards stagflation. We can't kill growth. You cannot just kill growth. Because then if you take away everyone's purchasing power, what's worse? Really, really high prices and I can't buy? Or I'm going to take away all your money and you can't buy anyways? Well, and further here, this is just, it's almost uh, satirical at this point, but if the Bank of Canada, Canadian government haven't learned that printing money into the system is is a major cause of where we are today, they've just come out and announced uh, an affordability plan where they're printing another $9 billion into the system. The Minister of Finance, Christopher Freeland, is going to be tossing money uh, essentially into the workforce because, you know, a million vacant jobs isn't enough. So they're helping, you know, low-income workers. Uh, I think the Canada workers' um, benefit is getting some, some seniors, some old-age old security. And even better, rent's up 20% already this year, but they're going to help people afford more rents. So if rents are high now and you're giving people more money, where are rents going to go from there? Well, this further stabilizes the price increase that's just taken place, right? So, you know, if you, if you did not have an opportunity to watch your assets grow in the last couple of years, the government's actually doing everything they can to protect the growth by fueling more money into the system. Print more, print more, print more. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is to this. The, the, the system feels a little bit busted, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, I think as people continue to try and keep up with what's happening, you, you're going to get riskier and riskier behavior. And, you know, that's likely what we saw in the last sort of six to 12 months. We saw some pretty risky behavior, both in the markets and crypto. We, I mean, there's all kinds of crypto companies right now that are also, you know, going bankrupt in Chapter 11, right? Because they got really risky, needed to give returns that could outsize the inflation. It's just not possible to do. 
Well, and keep in mind, in high inflationary environments, what performs well? Hard assets. So that 10% off, it's nothing. Just hold and uh, and know that everything's going to come back. And no, I don't have a time frame for that exactly. Nobody ever can. But uh, there's absolutely no reason just to sell off thinking that the, the money could be put somewhere else. Generally speaking, of course, everyone has unique uh, circumstances. This is a general conversation here, uh, not specific investment advice. But again, happy to have a conversation if this is something that you're considering doing so we can explore your circumstances more in depth. Yeah, I think honestly speaking, having an investment property in this kind of time makes so much sense. Look, if you have an investment property and you're down 10%, that is the best position you can be in right now, considering what everything else is followed by. And in that time period, you're getting paid by a renter to cover the ownership cost of that property. So it safeguards your asset. And that renter's paying 20% more than they were this time last year on average. There you go. There you go. Right. So, you know, again, um, this last couple of years has taught me, Dan, in, in every other market outside of the real estate market, that having some safe bets is really, really important in your portfolio. Perfect. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Thanks, as always, for watching and listening. Love to hear your comments on this one and what you are doing with your money or not doing. Please leave them below. Dan and Ryan signing off. As always, have a fantastic day. That wraps up this edition of the Vancouver Life Podcast. For more information on this podcast and to access a ton of free downloads, investment opportunities, current market info, and homes for sale, you can find it all at www.thevancouverlife.com. Thanks, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts about Vancouver real estate.